It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning and welcome to Monday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corker in, in for PJ Coogan again this week. And we were saying last week that PJ picked the perfect week for his holiday. But I'm not sure about this week now because I think, unfortunately, the heat wave is coming to an end. But I was just saying here to Wayne Hilton, hopefully we won't see any rain now until the afternoon so that the kids can enjoy their morning summer camp. But um, also to mention here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning, the Aer Lingus workers at Cork were given some great news on Friday um, we we covered the story here last month when they were told that they were going to be laid off during the, when the, the runway was going to be under construction but they found out on Friday that that decision has been reversed. Can we also pay tribute to the late DJ Fork who passed away over the weekend suddenly and here the team from the Opinion Line would like to um, pass on our regards and condolences to his family and friends. Uh, coming up on the show today we're going to be looking at the issue of kids getting vaccinated. Now we heard this morning that the portal the, the vaccine portal for 16 to 18 year olds is expected to be open in the coming days but how do you feel about it? How do you feel about your kids getting vaccinated Vaccinated. Would you have any concerns about it or do you think that it be sh- should be done as soon as possible? Get in touch with us on 1850 715 996 083 396 96 96 or the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Now also on Friday I was speaking to a young man about a a, a, a uh, uh, sorry, a presentation that he was hosting to to mark the start of Cork Pride and we know that there was a lot of activity around uh, the city yesterday as Cork Pride 2021 kicked off but unfortunately reporting this morning that there was an act of vandalism on an art piece to mark the start of the celebrations and joining me now is Sonia Matthews to discuss this. Good morning Sonia. Good morning Fiona, thanks for having me on. Sonia, what happened? Well, um, we have um, a place set up in the park. We created monologues and duologues 
um, based on different areas within the park and it's called Queer Codes. So with that, we created um, exhibits with QR codes on them and dotted them around the park to uh, where um, the monologues and duologues were filmed. Um, So myself and my dad went in on Saturday morning, set them all up, and it was just really exciting. Um, And later on in the afternoon, I got a a text from somebody saying they couldn't find the codes, just couldn't find them. Um, So I said, I'll go and check, and found out that there was three were stolen, two were damaged, and one was thrown in a bush across the park away from where it was installed, and three remained. Um, so it was very, very disheartening and very, very sad, and it made me really angry. Um, and <laughs> and I was very surprised, you know, that this happened in my city. And I, it's just such a wonderful uh, event, Cork Pride, and it lifts everybody's spirits. And I was just so, so sad when I saw that, and frustrated about the the months of work that we and uh, myself and my cast have put into it. Uh, can you restore it now? Um, well, yeah, we uh, with at uh, exp- with expense really. Uh, Cork Pride are going to cover it, but um, so we reprinted them. Um, myself and my dad and my partner went and reinstalled them again yesterday, um, so they're up again. But um, we're going to have to do that. I-, I feel that we're going to have to do that every day. Just keep an eye on it and replace them, mm-hmm. and we will keep going until the end of next weekend. Because it's very important. I think people need to see it. Absolutely. And, you know, as you said there, you were really surprised to see that happen in Mm. Cork. In 2021, we've had so many discussions, you know, around the city about diversity and inclusion. And to see this happening on the opening day of Cork Pride is just, um, it's quite quite sad really, isn't it? It's very sad. And in a way, you know, since I saw... um, since I've kind of posted about it, my friends have come back with actually incidents that has happened to them over the last few days. Uh, homophobic incidents and, and attacks that's happened. So I'm just, I'm just devastated for them in our community. And acts like this, people don't realise how uh, it affects the community and for young people who are seeing it, getting excited for Pride because they're just coming out themselves and then they see this and it makes them really fearful to come out and be themselves, or older people to come out, you know, because they're wondering, will they be fully accepted if the likes of posters can be damaged and exhibits can be damaged, you know? What kind of thoughts go through your mind when you see something like this happen? Well, wondering who who it is, um, uh, anger, um, and then real disappointment and sadness and as well as that then I feel I feel sad in a way for the people who have done it because they have so much hate in their heart for fellow mm-hmm. human beings and that that's, that's, that's the thoughts that I have and I felt that well, you know we've, Ireland has come a long way we do have a lot more to do in this country but we've come a long way in, in, in the case of LGBTQI rights. Um, but you can see this is why we need pride. This is why we need it. Because discrimination won't go away. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, you've said there that we have come a long way, but obviously there's still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. 
um, with equal uh, equal rights for parents, um, trans health care, trans rights. Uh, I could go on for ages about what we need to do in this country. Trans health care. Um, yeah, <laughs> lots. Yeah. So, you know, I suppose like it just goes to show how important an initiative like Pride is then in getting a positive message out there. Absolutely. And to hear our stories. Um, and this is the reason why um, we spent months online on Zoom creating these monologues and eulogues. Um, and they're written by uh, the performers themselves. And they're written from a real personal aspect. You know, it's just, it's their truth. And they're beautiful. They're sad. They're happy. They're, they're just so inspiring. Um, and yeah. <laughs> I got lost there. <laughs> You're okay. And Sonia, just for anybody who doesn't know, what is Queer Code? What's it all about? So Queer Code is uh, monologues and duologues and poetry uh, based on different parts of Fitzgerald's Park. Uh, so it was inspired by that. So mm. I asked um, our uh, cast to go walk around the park during COVID if it was within their 5K or look at uh, pictures online and figure out what kind of character would be there. Um, and they created um, stories about uh, body positivity, um, coming out, um, uh, this uh, call to arms for pride, um, an inspiring story by Eilisha O'Carroll um, about um, uh, an episode on a bus, um, loads of things like that that is... Um, that they're expressing is very exciting and very, very interesting. And uh, we have an agony aunt as well that um, is <laughs> that gets everything wrong from Kerry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she would be from Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what kind so, of a reaction have you been getting from the public um, in general? Well, well, the thing is, is that um, nobody really saw them on Saturday because um, we can see how many views we've gotten on YouTube. Okay. Um, and not many saw them on Saturday. There was a few more uptake because we had to wait until Sunday afternoon by the time we got all our printing redone. Um, so it was kind of late, late afternoon. So we've only gotten a, a couple of hits, really. Right. Um, on it because of that. I mean... We were hoping that the weekend would create a huge buzz mm. um, because it, it was full. The park was full both days. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, we're after missing out on that now. Um, so we're just relying on public that are going to spend their time for the during the week and um, early next weekend before we take it down. Okay. And um, yeah, so it's only up for the week then. It's not a kind of a mm. permanent fixture. No, 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 not at all. Okay, well, Sonia, listen, thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM this morning. That was just um, terrible. And if anybody is around the Fitzgerald's Park area this week, maybe they could go over and um, have a look at the Queer Code. Now, coming up after the break, we'll be looking at vaccinating your children. Let us know how you feel. 1850 715 986 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Quartz 96 FM. 
Welcome back, Fiona Corker in, in on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM on this Monday morning. Now, just before the break, I was speaking to Sonia Matthews about vandalism to a uh, Pride um, installation that was put in place in Fitzgerald Park and Senator Jerry Buttimer has been in touch with us to say Pride matters. The work is ongoing. We can't allow the hard-won rights to be diluted or removed. Now, I also asked you how you felt about getting your children vaccinated and joining me now on the line is Dr. Gabriel Scally. He's the Northern Ireland Public Health Physician. Good morning, Dr. Scally. Good morning, Fiona. Delighted to be with you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, first of all, uh, you're very much in favour of having children vaccinated. I, you know, I'm very much in favour of everyone being vaccinated. The vaccine mm. is, uh, it's, it's not everything and vaccines aren't enough. But vaccines are the best, the best tool we've got in the, in the toolbox, so we need to, to use it. And for children, I'm particularly concerned about, uh, although the incidence of serious illness and death is very low, there mm. are plenty of vulnerable children around who may well get ill. And also, I am very concerned about long COVID. And also, I have a lingering concern about the effect of this really dangerous virus on um, young and developing brains and, and the long-term conditions that may come in the future. What would you say to parents who are concerned about getting their children vaccinated against COVID? And not even necessarily parents who are anti vaxxers you know i've spoken to parents who have gotten the vaccine themselves but they're a little bit worried about maybe getting their children vaccinated because they're unsure of the long-term effects oh i think the long-term effect of well there's far more uncertainty and far more concern about the long-term uh, effects of of getting the virus and getting mm. infected the vaccine has been a, a, approved by regulatory bodies by the european medicines agency for young people it's been approved in the UK, it's been approved by their uh, Human uh, Medicines Commission and by their regulatory body as, as safe. And in the US, they've uh, now vaccinated about 10 million young people with, with the vaccine. So um, certainly for that group from 12 to 18, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what more evidence you want. It's, mm. it's, it's very good indeed. There's been only one side effect, which is a cardiovascular uh, serious side effect, and that's in, in uh, young males predominantly. And even that uh, is something that is very easily identified and treated. So um, I, it, for me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. I think uh, th- this vaccine, as with, as with all of the childhood vaccines, are a fantastic contribution to keeping our children healthy and well. I think like as this virus has progressed, you know, at the start, children were seen as super spreaders. Then they were seen as being okay. They, you know, if they get it, they're not going to get very sick. Um, now there's concerns about long COVID with, with children. And I think a lot of people just still think that, oh, well, you know, if children get it, they're not going to get very sick. But as you said, they can suffer the effects of long COVID. They, they can. And uh, also they do spread it and they do uh, pass it uh, around. And of course, um, what we're trying to do is get the maximum benefit we can from the vaccine for everyone. And the best way of doing that is for everyone to be vaccinated. And, and that'll help keep the virus uh, away. And, and you've always got to think about the children who can't be vaccinated because they've got some underlying condition that means uh, the vaccine's contraindicated. Or maybe in their family, there are people who can't be vaccinated. And so it's a way of keeping others safe as well as the children safe. And that's what we do with other vaccines, for example, like rubella, and that's predominantly to pr- protect pregnant women and, and their unborn children. Uh, but that's what uh, the vaccine that uh, 
is given to everyone. And when they're, when they're young, uh, they're not going to be affected, but it's for everyone's good. And we are hearing this morning that the vaccine portal for 16 to 18 year olds is expected to be open in the coming days. Do you think that all children should be vaccinated before school resumes in September? I think certainly from 12 upwards where, where, where the best information is. I think uh, the assessments are still being done and some trials being done about children under the age of 12. Mm. But certainly, I think uh, that that group of, of young people and I, their, their progress is really important. And getting them vaccinated, that secondary school group, uh, before schools reopen is, is brilliant. And if that could only be combined with some of the measures to improve ventilation in the school, uh, to use those uh, CO2 meters that have been promised for schools reopening and make the, the schools a really healthy uh, of a COVID-free environment. Mm. It would be great for the children, but it would be great for the teachers as well and the other staff at the school. Yeah, because I think a lot of parents still have uh, concerns about sending their children back to school in September. Yes, and, and I can understand all that. And the best thing to do is to work with the school to, to make sure everything's safe. You know, if you've got a child in the, in the school system in New York, for example, you can go online, you can look up your child's school, you can look up the very classroom that they're being taught in and see what the ventilation is like in that, in that uh, room. Does it have a, a, a filter? Does it have uh, air conditioning that is satisfactory? Has it windows that can open? All of that stuff. Uh, isn't being done enough and we haven't put enough attention into this. Those, uh, some of those really basic things about the, the, making sure that children and young people and the staff at school and colleges have access to, to fresh, clean air. That's, what it's, that's one of the big things. But vaccination is going to be a great help. Dr. Gabriel Scali, what would you say to um, reassure parents? Because I think like when the vaccine became available here, a lot of people took it because, you know, they wanted to get rid of the vaccine so any, any or get rid of the virus. So any doubts that they may have had, um, you know, that they just said, well, you know, we want to get rid of the virus. We want to get back to normal. We want to get back to life. But I suppose when it comes to their children, it might be a little bit different. So how can we reassure them that it is safe for children? I think you just have to look at the safety profile of it around the world. It's in use in enormous numbers. And the U.S. is very, very tight on these things. And they've had 10 million young people vaccinated now. So I I, I don't have any doubts about the safety. I can tell you if there were any doubts about the the safety, I would absolutely express it. But the vaccine isn't everything. We know it isn't 100%. And we also know that there are variants that can pop up and uh, can dodge some of the immunity of vaccines. So the best thing to do is to get the level of cases way, way down so that we don't get new variants and we don't get infected. That's, and vaccination is a great way of doing that. Great Dr. help, anyway. Dr Scully, we know that um, the indoor dining is resuming across the country today and uh, one of the rules is that um, adults will have to be vaccinated or would have had to recover from COVID for the last six months, but they can also bring in their children. Do you think that that's a wise move? I, I don't I think that's... I think it's an incredibly strange thing mm. to say that uh, you can bring kids in and it's okay, but adults can't come in unless they're, they're vaccinated. When, when we know children can get it and it can affect them and give them long COVID uh, and they can pass it on to other people, I, I, I'm afraid I find that completely illogical. It doesn't make sense to me. So what do you think should be the rules then? Do you think that ch- children maybe shouldn't be allowed in until they're vaccinated? 
Uh, I, well, I'm not in favour. I'm not a great fan of indoor dining at the moment anyway. Right. And I, I would prefer to not be moving in that direction just yet, uh, particularly given that it's the summer and we can make alternative arrangements in many, many cases. So it, I, the indoor dining issue is a problem because it's people sitting across the table in an in, indoor space. Uh, I don't think we've got enough rules yet about levels of ventilation, about uh, what filters that should be there, uh, and um, that, that whole that the whole safety thing for me is is really important. And I don't think we have got the infrastructure in place yet, and the numbers of cases low enough for indoor dining. But that's that's only my view, and I know there's a very strong case in the uh, in hospitality sector that they would like it opened. And I can understand mm. that it makes a huge difference to a lot of people. But you just have to look at the problems that people are having in the hospitality sector where it is open because their staff are getting infected and mm. having to be off and sick and, and places having to shut down. This is what, you know, I'm, what I'm seeing sitting on this side of the Irish Sea, uh, that it, it's not an easy way forward. Do you think it's risky asking staff who haven't been vaccinated to work? I think it's unsafe, yes. Uh, employers have a duty to protect the well-being of their, their staff and, and that means making sure that they can, can have fresh air and, and not be exposed to risk. And it is, it is risky, particularly because the nature of indoor dining is that people are enjoying themselves quite rightly and they're having a few glasses of wine, they're sitting across the tables, maybe they, they're, they're getting uh, very merry, happy, talk, chatting away, mm. uh, loud voices, and that just, just puts more virus into the atmosphere. And I think staff are at high risk, a big turnover of uh, uh, people coming through maybe. And um, I think uh, I, I do feel for the workers in, in, in pubs and restaurants do you think that the UK opening up is a danger for us over here? It is. The numbers here are very large. Now, the, the, the numbers have tailed off a, a little bit in the last few days, so mm. there is some hope, but the numbers are very high. But the numbers being admitted to hospital are still going up, and the numbers dying are still going up. So, um, you know, there's, there's no vaccine, vaccination for children in the UK for some uh, inexplicable reason, despite the fact uh, that the vaccine has been approved for safety. And there are still a lot of communities where there are inadequate levels of vaccination and the, and the amount of vaccines that are going into arms has tailed away off in the last few weeks. So it, it, I think it is going to be a very rocky period. And the, the real danger, I think, for Ireland is, is that in UK there are so many cases that we may get new variants coming up uh, dodge the, the vaccine-granted immunity mm. to a greater or lesser degree. That's that's the real worry that we'll actually end up going backwards. But if you look at where we are compared to this time last year, we were actually much better off last year. Cases were lower, uh, hospitalizations were lower, um, deaths north and south in Ireland were were zero for some time uh, last uh, last summer, and uh, we're not in as good a position now as we were then, even after a year of terribly hard work, and that's due to variants, and we mustn't have any more of them. So, like, what, in your own opinion, do we need to do to get back to a normal life, or is that even possible at the minute? Because, I mean, we have a, a large proportion of our adult population here vaccinated, and we're still hearing of case numbers going up and hospitalizations going up, and, as you say, new variants maybe coming into the country. Um, you know, it's a kind of a scary message for people. 
It is. It's a very rough road forward. And I, I do think the, the essentials need to be observed. We still should be telling people that social distancing is a good thing. We probably should be upgrading our guidance on, on wearing face masks, and mm. they should be properly, proper face masks, I think. Uh, the sort of FFP2 or FFP3 are the kind of standard masks. Now, uh, a lot of the cloth face coverings aren't really effective, as, as anyone who wears glasses knows, with a, a very simple cloth um, face mask or even one of the the, the, the blue type surgical hospital masks, uh, the air gets round them. And, and this is an airborne disease and we haven't taken it seriously and we really should take it seriously. Ventilation and uh, uh, protecting the people in, in enclosed spaces is extraordinarily important. So we've got a whole programme of work to do. That doesn't mean you have to have uh, lockdowns or social restrictions to do all the, a lot of this stuff and the vaccination program as well. And we need to get way above the um, the 50% or even the 70% of vaccination uptake and, and get it up into the 80s and uh, 90s of those that are eligible anyway. And uh, all of those things, plus continue with quarantine measures to make sure that we don't import new variants and have, a, um, and have the local public health teams bolstered around the country so that when there are outbreaks and flare-ups, as there will be inevitably, we can jump on those immediately. So it does require that continued integrated effort. But I think the days of total lockdowns are past mm. and we've got to tiptoe our way out of this um, gently and uh, but very positively. There are great things that be put in place to keep people safe. Well, Dr. Scully, I think that is music to people's ears that the days of harsh lockdowns are hopefully over. Um, what about contract tracing? Can we ramp it up here? I, I think it can be. It, it, it's a very uh, intensive activity and it's at its best when the case numbers are low so that you can really follow the, the tracks of, of, of people and find the contacts and bring them in for testing. And it's one of the things that I think the Republic of Ireland has done very well indeed testing people who are the, at the highest risk and those are the close contacts. And uh, I, I find it amazing that the UK hasn't been doing that. Mm. Uh, not testing close contacts for me is, is just crazy stuff. And uh, the international bodies, WHO and the other international health organisations have been recommending exactly the sort of system that uh, Ireland has and from the beginning. And the UK has never put that in place. And that's one of the reasons I think that uh, the Republic of Ireland um, performance during the uh, the whole pandemic um, has has been uh, really significantly better than the UK's and, and significantly better than Northern Ireland in, in particular. Uh, I, and I, so I think that contact tracing and the work being done by the public health doctors and their teams around the country is extraordinarily good. And the local directors of public health, I think, have a great opportunity now to work with communities and work with organisations and try and get everything safe um, for the, the coming months because I, I don't think COVID is going to go away for a while until we get the world vaccinated and that's going to take some time because um, there's a shortage of vaccine and unfortunately some governments have um, still are in still favour of retaining the, the patent regulations and that means that countries can't develop enough vaccine for their own needs. So it's going to be a rocky road but I, I think those local teams and the local public health response is extremely important.
Dr. Gabriel Scally, thanks very much for joining us on the opinion line on Cork's 96FN this morning. What are your own thoughts and on, on views on what Dr. Scally was saying there? Are you concerned about your children getting vaccinated or are you in favour of it? What about indoor dining? How do you feel about going into a pub or restaurant today? Do get in touch 1850 715 the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Quartz 96FM. Now, before the break, I was talking to uh, Dr. Gabriel Scali about the uh, vaccination of children's and uh, of children. Sorry, and Kate has been in touch to say they need to do something. We can't have the windows wide open in the winter, and that's for when the children return to school. Mags on Twitter says very positive call. In fairness, Dr. Scali speaks a whole lot of sense. Now, um, and we were also talking to Dr. Scali about the return of indoor dining, and we know that there are many pubs, restaurants, and cafes around Cork this morning that are opening their doors and serving customers indoors for the very first time in months. And joining me now on the line is Andy Ferreira from Cask Cocktails. Good morning, Andy. Hey, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, yeah. Not bad, thank you. I suppose it's a day that um, publicans and restaurant owners across the city have been waiting for. What's the atmosphere like with yourself and your staff? Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I suppose it's, it's probably a little bit mixed, if I'm honest, you know, um, you we're not used to the new system that we're going Andy, to Andy, sorry, can I just stop you there? Are you on speaker? No, no I'm not. No. Oh, right. no, that's a bit better there, wherever, if if you could maybe get oh, a bit okay. closer to the phone. Yeah. Country, country life, sorry. Um, yeah, no, look, I suppose it's a double-edged sword. We're, you know, we're looking forward to having customers back, but, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit, it'll be a little bit getting, getting used to um, getting COVID passports off of people and all that, you know, but it's, we'll just have to adapt like, like anything else we've done really over the last couple of months. Okay, Andy, I think the line there is very bad. We might have to come back to you in a little while. Sorry, um, I know it's an important call and we want to be able to hear um, what Andy is going to say. Right, um, so we'll try and get Andy back, uh, Fergal. Um, But in the meantime, I know that uh, people are very much on social media these days and they love to post pictures of their life. And um, I suppose included in a lot of people's lives is their children. But how do you feel about posting photographs of um, your children online and are there any repercussions? I've been catching up with Dr. Coleman Nocter, child psychotherapist, about this very issue. So Dr. Coleman Nocter, you've been writing this week about posting photographs of children on social media. Um, what's the whole issue regarding posting photographs of children without their consent? I think it's a, it's a very unknown topic, Fiona. I mean, again, we have legislation that, that suggests that children have a right to be forgotten. So at a certain age, they may try and, and erase their, their record. But it's a complex process where they'd have to apply for that and do that. Again, I was just, I mean, the reason I was kind of, I'm interested in how sharing has changed over the, the concept. I mean, years ago, I shared something with you because you may have wanted it or needed it or I had some extra where... The share now is much more about uh, an announcement of ourselves. So if I share a video or a meme or a picture of my lasagna or whatever it might be, I'm saying announcing something about myself. And I suppose when we share accounts of our children, uh, and I, I do it, uh, I'm not, it's, this isn't coming from a ju- place of judgment, um, it is more, I think, about us than it is about them. Like my six-year-old who's kind of holding up his student of the week and senior infants uh, his other peers are not going to see that so 
um, it's really an announcement of of me and as a parent I'm doing okay and I'm doing a good job and this is some mm. evidence of that but um, I suppose the the idea of our digital footprint or as somebody pointed out since I wrote the column which is really good the digital tattoo how do you erase that and again even uh, like if we share images and I screenshot it and save it onto my phone there's no way you can remove that digital record of, of that image that I now have on my phone even if we kind of took off data servers and things like that there's still capacity for these images and that's the thing with online you know everyone owns everything so soon mm. as you post something online you surrender ownership over it uh, and and it's important that I think we we consider that when we are sharing images of our children and just be conscious of how much we're doing it uh, what are there potential consequences for. to doing that uh, I think there are. I mean, again, maybe the, the the idea that we've heard about cyber hacking and people using data and 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 harvesting it and selling it elsewhere. Um, again, images of children, uh, no matter how innocent they might be, can be used for nefarious or unsavory purposes too. Um, and again, um, you know, we're, we're we're in hot weather. We've got paddling pools out the back. We've got small children in bikinis etc mm. and all that sort of stuff and so it's just and again these this is the thin end of the wedge and it's probably the, the the rare occasion that this might happen but you have to be aware that these that when you post these images that they have the capacity to be used for other purposes um and again it's it's it's, it's a divisive topic because there are people who may take a kind of a morally superior thing and say i don't share images and, and that makes me a great person and then there's others who say you know to the morally superior people you need to lighten up you know it's not a big deal hmm. and there's no right or wrong about whether you should or shouldn't do it and i'm not coming from a judgment point of view but i think the manner the spirit the tone and the volume of it is important and i think it's 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 important for us as the parent to realize why we are doing it and if it is validation and recognition for ourselves well then let's be honest about that that's the, the purpose of me sharing this is is to 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 feel better and feel you know and kids get clicks you know they yeah. are you're far more likely to to get uh, kind of way more likes and favoritism things on your uh, images of your children than you are maybe about trying to promote my column for the week or whatever it might be <laughs> and I, I would say that you know the the, the companies know that so they'll know that Coleman after you know Coleman you you sent this around last year and it got a great traction do you want to send it around again and because the, the the company is only interested in clicks and coverage and time on screen, they don't have an ethical consideration of what that image of of your your child playing in the padding pool or in the bath or getting their search from from junior infants is going to have an impact on them if they you know become a potential presidential candidate in thirty years time. Some parents might want to might say that you know they want to share their lives, their own lives on social media, and a big part of their lives is their children. So why shouldn't they they post online and post those photographs of those happy family images that they have, or not happy? Yeah, but no, it be the case. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I'm saying that perhaps you should be aware that 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 you are surrendering ownership of it. I mean, this is no different to. Um, and I, I remember when I, before I had children myself, you know, going into work and sitting in the staff room, looking through my colleagues' pictures of her holidays and telling me about how great her child uh, and kind of feigning some interest yeah. in it. You know, <laughs> that point of view. It's no different now, but we're just sharing those family albums 
with a, a network of people who everyone can have a copy of the negatives of those photos. And so from the point of view of it's not, again, this isn't bad, good or bad technology. It's good or bad usage. Technology is, is like, it's like food. You know, there's good and bad stuff to it and you just have to be moderate around how you do it and, and, and maybe be honest about it. And also I do think there's parental pressure and, and I, I would be a huge advocate against parental guilt. And, yeah. you know, if I'm looking at, Oh, your your kid has you know a, a judo and black belt and karate and they're seven and my kid is still using velcro and their shoes and they're seven i'm going to feel under pressure why they're not you know i'm looking at my kid saying why aren't you as good as that kid and it does create i suppose a kind of a an instagram culture of pressure around why are my children not achieving the things that other children are and when you're sharing stuff like that you know, think about maybe people who have children with additional needs or, you know, who, who are never going to have the prizes and the awards and the things that maybe you're uh, taking some, some stock with. And again, if we're sharing that in, a, in the case of back in the day when we had a, a bunch of photos, you'd be careful about who you're sharing it with because you'd be conscious of other people's sensitivities. Whereas the online net, social networks that we have, you're sharing it with, the, with everyone. And sometimes we lose concept of who our audience are and who follow us and who have access to the stuff that we're sharing. Is there any way that we can post photographs of our children and make sure that they're safe and that they're only seen by, you know, a small group of people and that they're not taken from the site and used for alternative uses? Uh, no, is the answer to that. Your, your security is only as, as safe as your weakest link, you know, so the person, you know, the weakest link in the chain sets the tone. So if you did share it on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever it might be, if somebody on your network has poor privacy settings, you know, they can be accessed in that way. Of course, there are things that we can do to make our accounts as private as possible and, you know, only allow people to access that. But as I say, this, the screenshot takes away much of, of any sort of ownership issue because anyone can screenshot anything and, and have a, a record of that 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 isn't erasable from the point of view of, of you. You're not going to be able to access their phone and get rid of that from from their, their memory or their gallery from that point of view. Um, so we, we, we have to exercise caution and we have to be you know careful around these things and, and thoughtful about them. Um, and, and it's not about uh, being a killjoy and saying, you know, never do this. And it's not about taking the, the position of, you know, hiding your children from public life or anything like mm. that. Um, but I just, I, I just think we probably are largely unaware of maybe why we're doing it, maybe how often we're doing it and maybe the spirit and tone of what we're doing when we're doing it. I suppose the recent cyber hacking um, issue as well has just brought it to the fore that, you know, these systems can be so easily accessed by by blackmailers and by hackers. And, you know, you just don't know when you post something up online where it's going to end up. And and that data is lucrative, you know, it's mm. expensive, you know, and, and data is the new currency. You know, the more I know about you, the more I can advertise and, and pitch and target my advertising towards you. And if I know you have three children who enjoy sports or that it's sort of, you know, how do I know that, that other companies are not using that data to target advertising for you to buy them the latest tennis gear or whatever it might be. And so, mm. it, again, the, the genie's out of the bottle when it comes to the online stuff. We can't put it back in. But um, I think sometimes we just need to take a step back and pause before we post and think about the consequences of it um, and, and where it might be able to be taken. It shouldn't, you know, we should never always do everything by the, the lowest common denominator. If you were so concerned about 
at road safety, you'd never cross a road, but maybe use the pedestrian crossing, you know, look left and right and do it as safely as you can uh, by taking the right considerations before doing it. I suppose finally we could all then end up facing the wrath of our children when they do become adults. Like, why are you posting? Why are you posting all those photographs of me online? <laughs> yeah, and and again, you know, I've I've been to those twenty first years ago where somebody <laughs> would have the photos of them as a child and you know standing there. Yeah. Um, like again, our digital footprint or, or as our digital tattoo is so pre- you know prevalent. And again, you know, do you want someone you're trying to date? finding all those images of you <laughs> when you were five, six, seven, eight, and, and you know, your whole family album being available to anyone who wants to, to kind of search you up. Um, and again, you know, the, the idea that a misplaced tweet or, you know, how information can have consequences on people going for jobs or, you know, whatever it might be. It is, again, what might be a very funny photo hmm. of your child, you know, with a cigarette and a pint in their hand or something that you staged for the point of view of getting yeah. lots of likes <laughs> may have an impact. There's also the other side that, that people say, you know, you should ask your three-year-old for consent and if they say it's okay, well, then it's okay. I don't subscribe to that at all. A three-year-old doesn't know when they've had enough ice cream, never mind the digital <laughs> consent on the, on the online world. So as the adult and the parent and the, the adult in the room, you have to be just responsible and, and take as many precautions as possible while still being able to enjoy the, the validation and recognition of, of sharing your children's lives, which is important too. And it's important to all of us to to remind ourselves that we're doing a good job, but just to do it carefully, I think. Brilliant. Dr. Coleman, Doctor, thank you so much for joining me on The Opinion Line on 96FM. Thank you very much for that. And now I think we have Andy Ferreira from Cast Cocktails back on the line. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Is that better? Uh, yeah, that's much better. Thanks very much for that. Now, no Andy, worries, just Joel. with regards to opening again, has it been difficult to get the, the place ready to reopen today? Well, I suppose I'm. We're kind of a, um, a lucky bar in that we've you know, we've got a little hotel as well, so we've been serving hotel guests mm. for the last couple of months, which has kind of given us a period to, to kind of get used to it. You know, I mean, the initial reopening was was incredibly challenging. Um, but yeah, we've we've already had customers indoors for the last couple of months, so it's not a massive difference for us. And how difficult are these new guidelines going to be, where you have to ask people for you know for contact tracing and for digital certs, and you know, um, is that going to be tough? Is that going to be a challenge for you and your staff? Um, I mean, I guess let's have a chat tomorrow, and I'll tell you. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of hard to know. Like it's yeah, it is. Look, it's not ideal. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, the, the term COVID police has been thrown around a little bit, but at the same time, I suppose if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. You know, we're we're all, we're all pretty adaptable, and as long as the customers are, um, as long as the customers buy into it as well, and don't get, you know, don't get too too odd about it, I don't I don't think it'll be too much of a drama. And are staff okay about working? Staff that haven't been vaccinated, would they be okay about working? I don't know. I mean, look, the whole thing, the whole thing is very very strange, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. but um, again, like we, you know, I suppose not to be. You know, just to be honest, we have been serving customers already outside. We've been serving customers inside as well. So um, I think it'd be kind of hypocritical of us if we suddenly got up on our high horse, to, you know, to say that it's it's not right that we are serving people when we have been already. Um, you just we'll just have to adapt and we'll just have to deal with it. I think we've we've always been quite good at casket making the customers feel at home during during COVID, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know a huge amount of a concern to communication how you how you explain the situation. Um, you know, this is this is the hand we've been dealt and we just need to kind of deal with it. Unfortunately, we're kind of a bit stuck for time now before the news, Andy, but I just wanted, before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you about the death of DJ Fork. I know he was very um, 
well thought of there by you and your staff. Yeah, I know. It was yeah. Yesterday was a horrendous day for for a lot of people in the kind of in the court and in the music scene in Cork. Mm. And then yeah, desperately sad. There's not a lot you can say really. You know, he was. I think Benny McKay described it perfectly by just saying he was loved by everybody, and yeah, he genuinely was. You know. Yeah. Um, I know it's very, very yeah. sad. Okay, Andy, listen, um, I have to let you go. Sorry about that. Sorry that we had to cut the call so short. But best of luck today and best of luck to everybody else who is reopening again today. Bye. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan this Monday morning. Now, in the first hour, I was speaking to Professor Gabriel Scali about getting the vaccine for children and about indoor dining and about the rise in various different variants of COVID-19. And uh, somebody got in touch to um, us here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM to say, ask him if we whisper when we are talking, we'll be okay. Will we, will we be okay? Uh, keep your thoughts and uh, views coming in on anything that we're talking about on the show whether or not you agree with getting your children vaccinated how you feel about going um, to dine inside 1850-715-996 or 0833-969696 Now my next guest has been writing about embracing diversity in parenting Laura Erskine she's a parenting expert with Baby Doc Club and has been writing for RSVP magazine Good morning Laura Good morning How are you? I'm good thank you Very well very well Now you were talking about diversity in parenting and how it's changed since you were growing up to to what it is now what have you seen or what have you experienced yes my goodness I'm I'm a a mum of three children so my eldest is 12 right and um growing up in in south dublin I don't think I was exposed to um somebody with a a different skin color or from a different cultural background um until I was in my teens Mm. Now it's very different in today's world. Um, my my son James, he was uh, when he started crash, he was um, being looked after by uh, his favourite carer was a Brazilian man, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so th- there was a gender stereotype being challenged there, and that there was a you know a carer working in a crash who was male, and um, which I had to adjust to. Um, then he was also from another country, um, and you know I suppose he's he's now he's now started school uh he's he's nearly coming out the other side and into secondary school Mm. and in in actual fact in his classroom there's only two children who have both irish parents there are so many different nationalities and cultures and religions and even children who've already identified with different genders um within his classroom it is a different world and i guess it's up to this generation then of parents to make sure that their children, while they're being exposed to it in school, but that they're also exposed and they discuss it at home. So it becomes more normal. Yeah, because even I'm just thinking there about my own um, seven-year-old and he went through preschool and he's in uh, has been through two years of primary school and, you know, he's been asking me about the Chinese New Year and about Eid and, you know, about different religions because of the children that are in his class and they come from different countries and they have different cultures. So do you think as parents that we need to be, um, that we need to brush up on our own knowledge about these different cultures? 
I think we do for sure and I think we need to be able to answer those questions mm. when they're put to us by our children but also be unafraid to say actually I'm really not sure why they wear the hijab or um, why they celebrate um, different religious customs. Let's look it up together. Let's let's learn together about mm. that culture. And while they're doing a lot of it at school, it is important to do it at home. And also to have lots of different opportunities to challenge um, both different cultures in terms of having black and white babies, challenging gender stereotypes, giving, you know, lots of a variety of caring toys like dolls and, and babies to, to mm. boys as well as trains and, and, and airplanes to, to girls. There's so many, so there's so much when it comes to diversity. It, it's race, it's gender stereotypes um, and even just uh, even family units. You know, there's, there's same-sex marriage now in our country. Mm. We've got, you've got children in your class who, who may, whose parents may both be the same sex. You've got children who are from solo families where the, where the parent has decided to go off and have a child themselves without being in a relationship. And, um, and then there's, there's separation and divorce as well. I'm, I'm divorced myself. So, um, and, and I'm, I'm due to get married again. So my children have a, have a stepsister. Um, and, and they've, they have two families. They've, Santa Claus visits two houses. Um, so, you know, it, it's so different now. And I think we should really make a, an effort as parents to try and expose our children to that through through books, through toys, even through clothing. Like mm. there's one Cork um, Irish-owned business by two mums um, and it's babyboo.ie and they've actually come up with an embracing diversity range of prints on their clothes. And I hadn't been aware but actually, when you when you go into a, a normal department store and you pick out clothes for your little girl or your little boy, it does tend to um, depict characters that are white. Mm. Um, so they've uh, brought in a whole range of, of, of diverse um, skin colour um, across their different characters, everything from black and white mermaids to fairy princesses to, um, you know, female superheroes through to, uh, you know, lots lots and lots of different boy and girl uh, prints that, uh, across their bids. And they're actually rolling it out across their entire range uh, of, of organic clothing. So it's nice to be able to see something that a child might identify with themselves. And that was the feedback from their community, um, is, is that it's so lovely for a child with a different skin colour to be able to identify themselves in a print. Uh, and that's really important. It's great to hear that that company is a core company. <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> and just, uh, Laura, with regards to, um, you know, real hate of difference or, you know, what if a, what if a child is exposed to that? Um, you know, how, do, how does a parent deal with that? You know, it, it, it is really difficult. And I suppose what we need to teach our children is what, what's on the inside that, mm. that counts. Um, and not what's on the outside. And it's, you know, dealing with, with any sort of discrimination, um, be it because of gender, because of skin colour, because of religion, uh, or because of the type of family unit they come from or home environment. And um, this is this is something that we need to teach our children to be more inclusive, to be more accepting. And the way we do that is actually to model that behaviour ourselves and then to challenge any sort of of inkling or um you know any sort of note that that your child is coming up with that might mm. might not be um as inclusive as you would like it to be and to challenge them on that point and uh, and you know model that that sense of equality and inclusion and that everybody is the same 
I suppose there's always been um, a bit of that anyway, like, you know, even with regards to hair colour in children, like we, we, we may not have had, um, you know, as many children from different countries when we were growing up, but there was always that kind of, you know, slagging of children that may have, say, for example, somebody with red hair or somebody with freckles, you know, like there's, there's always been that. But do you think that now that because we have so many different uh, cultures coming together that there is a kind of a less um, that that children are less likely to to tease somebody because of a difference, or is it just the same? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that they are less likely to to tease because of difference, and and like you say, it, it was it was the freckles, it was the red hair, mm. it was, who wore glasses, um, and and now that that difference is so less because there's so many more children within their own very own community that they're seeing all the time. So it has become normal. Uh, and for us as parents, we need to um, we need to sort of catch up almost with our mm. children because we might not be uh, as educated on on the difference and and, and inclusion that that they're demonstrating um, and that they're exposed to in school. Uh, and it's important to do that across across all things. So we should be embracing diversity and pointing things out within movies, making sure that they've got uh, access to books that have uh, children of different colour that, that talk about different family units. There's another Irish company called um, MyHigherShelf.com and it's run by a mum, an Irish mum based over in the west of Ireland. Um, and she's got lots of books that, that talk about diversity, talk about different family units, different cultures uh, and embracing that. And, and I suppose exposing ourselves and our children to all of that through clothing, through the kind of activities that, that you encourage them to try, everything from, from the, the tumble tops um, and the rugby tops uh, for children of both genders. But yes, definitely, I think difference um, is something that our children are hopefully not going to even even be as aware of uh, uh, but as we were when we were younger. I suppose it's so important for children to learn tolerance, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, and it's tolerance from every level. It's, mm. it's not just the, um, the you know, in terms of, of, of diversity, in terms of tolerance and different colours and different religions. Um, my children ask me questions all the time around that. And it is about developing that understanding. And I think once we have some knowledge, knowledge is a powerful thing and, and it will naturally develop that tolerance. My, my own... Um, father is a Protestant, his Church of Ireland, and, and my mum and, and, and my siblings were all brought up as, as Catholic. So m- my children have often asked me, you know, different questions around Christmas time and why, you know, my granddad would go to a, a different church. And it is around that tolerance and making sure that, that, that we don't carry any of either our parents' generation or our own generation, uh, any, any sort of prejudices that they might have carried, that we make sure that we educate ourselves uh, and we bring up our children in, in the kind of world that we would like um, them to bring up their children in. So it, it is that, that world of, of tolerance, of embracing diversity, um, equality uh, and inclusion. Laura Erskine, thank you very much for joining us on The Opinion 9 on Cork's 96FM this morning. Coming up, how would you feel if you were on holidays and your ch- and your child wasn't allowed to return to the creche for two weeks when you came home? 1850 715 96 Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan this week again. And Cork's 96FM's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back. We're streaming the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie. Now, how would you feel about going on holidays and when you came back you were told by your child minder or your crash that uh, your child had to stay at home for the next two weeks? It's something that um, we're hearing a lot more of and joining me now on the line is Chair of the Early Years Federation, Elaine Dunn. Good morning, Elaine. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. This seems to be an issue here in Cork and around the country. Um, what are the, the guidelines, I suppose, for um, creches and childminders with regards to people who've been uh, abroad on their holidays over the summer and they're coming back? Okay, so the guidelines at the moment are that once a child comes off a plane and both parents have been vaccinated, that the child can come straight in the following day into our services. So we have decided to stick at this moment. To, we're going to take precautionary measures and we're going to stick to the policies and procedures that we have in place for the last year that have worked to keep everybody safe and well within the services. Um, we are finding more and more services at the moment are getting the Delta variant into them and this is very worrying. Mm. We've seen two crashes in Galway that um, have had the um, Delta variant and they were for children under the age of two and these, both of these services were closed down. Um, this will, you know, you're going to start probably seeing this happening a lot within our sector if we use the guidelines that are out there at the moment. So we're just doing our best to keep everybody within the doors safe and well mm. and following our own policies and procedures at this time. And we I have vulnerable. Yes, yeah, sorry. sorry. We do. We do have vulnerable staff. We do have vulnerable children, and we must look after them. And not all staff are vaccinated at this time either. So there are a lot of issues as to why we want to stick to our policies and procedures. And Avril Mosaic is CEO of Mentor, the professional supports for early childhood education. Avril, good morning. Hello, Avril. Yes, good morning. Hi, good morning, Avril. You're joining me on this topic as well. Um, Avril, uh, what's your own view on this? Yes, well, my view would be, first of all, that it's really difficult to understand why early childhood services uh, have to justify um, this position in the first place. Hmm. Um, now, you know, policies and procedures have been the only thing that early childhood services could, could I suppose, use to guide them um, since the beginning of the pandemic. And apart from keeping children and families and staff safe, the overall objective here is to keep the early childhood services open for all children and families. So the advice that we're given to services at the minute through the Federation is to um, do a travel risk assessment um, with your families when they return from travel because this is not only about foreign travel this could be travel to another county in Ireland which is experiencing very high rates of, of COVID or the Delta variant. So therefore to base their decision and this is in the absence of any real um, you know secure information from the government in terms of guidelines again you know services have been left you know to kind of wing it and to to make the best decision that they can so really what we're advising is that every service 
gives parents a form when they return from travel to complete, you know, asking things like where have they been, what areas they've been to and how long they were out of the country or in another county. To use that information then to inform a risk assessment and then make an informed decision to either delay the rejoining of the child to the group or to request uh, a test. And I think that's very fair Mm. in terms that services are dealing with uh, immune-compromised children, immune-compromised staff. And, you know, it's really all they can do, Fiona, to be honest. And Mm. I think it's very justifiable in the situation that we're in and in the absence of any concrete government guidance on this. And Avril, obviously it's um, it's a challenge for a parent when they don't have any childcare when they are returning to work. So do you think that parents should check with their childcare provider before they book a holiday? Well, the childcare provider will do that anyway. They will have all now by this stage added an addendum to their risk management policy because, I mean, really childcare services are trying to be really responsive to changes as they're happening. I suppose the big emphasis at the beginning was just trying to get opened and to get reopened safely. And now, you know, they have been presented with this challenge of of travel. So therefore, they have responded to that through their risk. They've given out a a protocol to parents and said to them, if you are traveling anywhere, and this is not just foreign travel, you Mm. you have to remember that this could be any region of Ireland or the UK, and um, to complete this. And then, you know, parents, of course, are entitled to go on holiday. uh, And nobody's saying that they aren't. But, you know, they have to be aware that... um, judging on the results of the risk assessment following their holiday, it could mean a slightly delayed restart for their child when they come back. Elaine Dunn, it's been a very tough last 18 months. They've been, it's been very tough on the childcare providers sector really, hasn't it? Because the guidelines have changed so much and you know the, the providers are obviously trying to keep their staff safe but they're also trying to keep the children safe and the families safe and a lot of parents um, you know, the, the guidelines might not suit them because they need to go to work you know, and um, I think it's just been a very difficult time for people. I think, yeah, we have struggled throughout the last year for sure. But I'm saying that I think we've done, the sector has done so, so well. Um, providers, staff and parents have all done really well. And we've adhered to all of the policies and procedures that have worked for the last year within services. And I think it's important that parents know that at the same time now, we're going to continue with those same policy procedures as a precautionary measure at this time. As we all know, we don't know where this Delta variant is going. Or, you know, when schools reopen, I mean, a lot of services also taken after school children. So there's a lot more coming down the line for us that we don't know at this time. So we're just trying to do our very best to keep our services open, to keep parents um, safe and to, to allow parents to go out to the workforce. And if we take a child in that has been out, you know, in an area where the variant is quite high, well, then they're going to come in and within five days, that could shut that service down for up to anything up to four weeks. And that's a knock-on effect for a lot of families. So this is why we're doing this. Is there any guidelines around um, fees that parents might have paid? Like if they have to pay a month in advance for their childcare provider and they go on holidays, that's obviously their own choice. But then if they can't send their child for the 13 days afterwards because um, of the, the guidelines around COVID, um, what's, what's, is there anything around that? Like do they still have to pay their fees for the creche? To be fair, every service has their own fee policy, so mm. I can't really comment because I don't know what their fee policy is okay. on it. 
um, yeah, that, that would be up to the individual provider and the parent and the parent contract with the provider as well. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and obviously there's a huge amount of concern. Um, do you know, we were speaking there earlier on to Dr. Gabriel Scali about getting children vaccinated. Would you like to see young children who are using creches, would you like to see them getting vaccinated or do you think there's a need? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, well, we've done so well so far, and children have been getting the, the, the COVID, as we know. Um, but for me, I, I'm unsure as to how that has been tested and tried. You know what mm. I mean? So I would prefer not to really make a comment on that. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's down to every parent individually how they feel. I see a lot of it in media at the moment. Um, but I, I, I just know from speaking to my own daughter who's got um, a year old baby that she just said no way would she vaccinate her baby at this time. Yeah, yeah. And Avril, just I suppose the, the, the issue here is to try and keep everyone safe. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is, it is. You know, early childhood services offer you know a public good. It's it's not the same as the hospitality sector. You know, deciding to say we're going to delay reopening because government guidelines um, are not telling us enough. Um, you know, this is a public good, and this is something that we have to keep our eye on for September. We want to ensure that all our crashes and preschools and schools indeed um, are opened in September. And if that means making some sacrifices now around holidays or, you know, trying to understand that the early childhood services are trying to make an informed decision and a very, very difficult decision as well mm. um, because, you know, these are these are competitive businesses as well at the end of the day and if the crash down the road decides to um, let children in straight after holiday and another service makes a decision to delay starting or to ask for, you know, a clear COVID test, you know, it's very, it's very conflicting and it's a very very difficult landscape um, to navigate at the minute but everybody's best interests are in keeping children's family and staff safe and also to keep your eye on the bigger picture of ensuring that services stay open for everyone um, going forward. Brilliant Avril and Elaine thank you very much for joining me on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM Can we just talk 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Now, we did touch on this last week. The bravery of Charlene Masterson, who spoke out and waived her right to anonymity after her father was jailed for 17 years for abusing her over a period of seven years. And that was David Masterson. And her bravery was um, was was uh, congratulated by the Michal Martin, Taoiseach Michal Martin, Justice Minister, or the former, former Justice Minister, Charlie Flanagan, Again, and also by the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. And joining me from there is Nolene Blackwell. Good morning, Nolene. Good morning, Fiona. Nolene, um, Charlene's bravery was um, was something to really celebrate because it's a very difficult thing to do to come out and speak like that. Yeah, and and it really does take a lot of strength and thinking through because you're talking about something that is extremely personal to yourself. Mm. And the judge described the crimes of David Masterson as a most fundamental breach of trust. And you have to kind of then, in a sense, for yourself, Charlene had to say, yes, that was a breach of trust, but it was a breach of trust by him. It was not my breach of trust and she has nothing to be ashamed of and what struck me so much about what she said was she wants to to speak up because she wants other people to know that while these crimes uh, are harmful and hurtful and terrible for her to deal with, nonetheless, there is a bigger life. And I just thought that was a fantastic message to be sending out to people as well, that these crimes will not define her forever. Do you think that the successful conviction of David Masterson will encourage other people to maybe bring their um, abuser to court? Because I know it's a very difficult decision for people to have to make. Yeah, it's a difficult decision and it's a difficult process. And in this case, David Masterson's sentence would have been longer if he hadn't um, at least admitted his guilt at an early mm. stage and recognised that his daughter was telling the truth about the abuse. So it is... it. it it cannot be easy. There's no point saying it's an easy process. The court process still has a long way to go to recognise how hard it is to bring these cases where so much of the evidence really depends on what two people know, the person who's accused of the crime and the person who's giving the evidence about it. And so an awful lot depends on very intimate evidence mm. being given in court. But I think it I think it will because she also wanted that to be clear that fathers do uh, this kind of thing. A tiny minority of fathers do this kind of thing. But there is still that reality that so much sexual abuse happens within the family setting, you know, by a partner, uh, by um, a sibling, by a parent, by a child. You know, these are these are constant realities in life. And I suppose for as long as people feel they can get away with it, Fiona, that they won't be held to account for it, it means that there isn't the normal society sanction on doing something that is truly awful and a huge breach of um, a father-daughter relationship. And Nolene, obviously for a lot of victims it's a very difficult decision to make because they don't want to have to go through the courts and they don't want to have to face their abuser and they're afraid that they may not get a conviction at the end. But also, like, is there a stigma attached to surviving sexual violence for people? 
there there should there should not be but mm. people feel it themselves mm. i think very often the 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 real person who checks themselves is the victim themselves who nearly self-censor and, and say well i won't be believed or i mightn't get a conviction or i must have done something wrong so you know you have to do an awful lot of work, a personal work, thoughtful work, thinking it through to recognise that this is not your shame, uh, this is not your fault, that there is nobody responsible for the abuse except the person carrying it out and anyone who turns a blind eye to it as well. So, uh, so it does still, I suppose we're in a society, Fiona, that even 10 years ago, people were really being told much more, do you know what, don't, don't upset the apple cart. Don't uh, you'll split the family? Um, you, you people mightn't believe you. Uh, you know, so so there was so much against it. I really think it's only in the past number of years, and the Charlene Mastersons of this world are helping us to recognise that it's it's important uh, that that uh, we know that this happens, uh, that those who carry out this most abusive most criminal behaviour are held to account and are sanctioned and punished for it because that's the way we will reduce the amount that it happens as well. If people recognise, first of all, that they're not to blame themselves if they're victims. Secondly, that they are to blame if they carry out the abuse and that our society won't allow it. So, you know, we need we need more people to identify it. We, and then we need... Uh, programs like yours mm. where people can talk about it and and have a discussion and and speak about the fact that we've hidden this for so long and that people have been so badly hurt by it as a result of that we need society to to stand with those victims whether they speak out or not because it's not for everyone uh, to waive anonymity but whether they do or not we do not need them to be punished blamed, uh, questioned by our society. Our society needs to salute uh, them uh, and, and, and recognise the harm that has been done to them and make sure they get the supports that they need. So, Nolene, what would you say to the listeners here this morning on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM that if they have been experiencing or if they are experiencing abuse, uh, how would you encourage them to, to go to the Gardaí and to speak up? Yeah, so I suppose there's two things, first of all, to mind themselves. Uh, So the most important, uh, very often, the hardest call, we hear this again, we run the national 24-hour helpline for all the country. So there's a helpline number there, totally confidential, totally secure, um, totally non-judgmental, just for people to get the help that they need for themselves. And often that first call is the hardest call for someone to make. Once they've named it, because we don't, you know, we don't want really to be recognising and naming the harm that has been caused us, particularly if it's done by someone we we know and should trust and love. Uh, so, it's, so naming it can be the hardest. So I would say maybe uh, so there's the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork which does amazing work uh, with, with people without ever having to go to the guards. There's the National 24-Hour Helpline and I'll give that number at the end Fiona if I may. Yes. Uh, so, there's, so there are ways of just getting help for oneself and I think 
even Charlene Masterson said, going to the guards is a different piece of work then because you go when you're ready. You go when you know and very often people go to the guards because they wanted to stop for themselves or they wanted not to happen for others or they recognise that, that if people are not brought through the court system, if they're not held to account, then we are perpetrating this awful form of crime and harm. So I would say, first of all, Fiona, get yourself in, get yourself the help that you need. The helpline might be there. You know, it won't be for everyone, but it is there and it operates 24-7, the the national one does. And then there are 16 rape crisis centres around the country, Sexual Violence Cork does, has been doing fantastic advocacy and counselling work for over 30 years um, and is, is there as well for people who need help. So I would say get yourself help first. And then if the day comes when you say, I am now ready to report it to the Gardaí, do that. Now, okay. I would also say that if there's, a, if there's a possibility that somebody has been raped recently and there might be evidence available, uh, then it is worth going to the Gardaí simply to collect evidence. They don't have to go ahead with the case uh, immediately, but just to try and collect and keep evidence because they're, they're hard cases to prove in some ways because they take place in private. Okay, thank you very much to Nolene Blackwell from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Now I'm speaking to JJ Hurley. JJ, um, you've been posting on Twitter about your own brush with skin cancer. Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Obviously, um, last week with the heat wave, we were all talking about sunburn and the dangers mm-hmm. associated with that. Just tell me a little bit about your own experience. Well, so my own experience, I suppose, um, uh, I, I'd been to my doctor over the years. I've had some moles, you know, removed. It's, 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 I suppose, my family are fair-skinned. Um, so it's, we're conscious of it. Um, some of my siblings have had them off. So I went to my doctor and I, he said, yeah, we'll send you. And, and I went to see the, the, the... And I must say, can I just say at the outset, like I went to the clinic in the COH and there was no bother. was in. I couldn't believe it how quickly it moved. And anyway, eventually I went in and they said, yeah, we'll take one, we'll take one off. And uh, I was under Professor Redmond and he came in the morning, the operation. Now, I had one on my back that... The, the, no, you know, I kind of had forgotten about saying it to him, and I said, I said, I said, because I said to him, Professor, I said, I have one in my back, you know, and I, yeah. it, when I go to the shower, particularly the hot water makes it very itchy. So he looked at my back and he started laughing, and he said, Actually, today is Aldi Day, JJ. And I said, What do you mean? And he said, We're going to take two for the price of one today, he said. So, <laughs> right, so he, he took it off. And that was grand. And the next thing I got a phone call about two weeks later and they said, no, it's, it's a bit sinister, but look, don't panic. Right. We, 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 you know, we see these quite regularly. It looks like it's the very start of something. So we need to come back because what they do is they take, no, I can't remember the, the specific circumference. I think they took five mil originally. Then they went back and they had to take the 10 mil off. So they went back and they took it off and they came back and they said, no, you're grand, you're clear. But now we're going to send you, there's a great clinic and there's a fantastic nurse out there. She runs it in the CUH and what they do is mole mapping. So what they do is they take you in and it's like a big camera and they have uh, like, um, well, it's, it's, it's camera and it's kind of it's kind of a mobile thing and they pull it yeah. up and they, they do all your skin and they look at the particular ones and they, they actually take a record of it. But in my case, they found two that were, the percentage was high. No, I don't know how they work out the percentage mm-hmm. in that, Fiona, but, but they said that the percentage is specifically high. So they took those two off. They were fine. There was no bother. So they have a record of that. So in, in, in 18 months' time or whatever, they'll call me back and they'll have a look at it and they'll say, yeah, oh, you know, that one in your arm now is a bit bigger or they're all okay. 
So it's really important. I suppose, you know, like in my family, my, my sister actually had something similar, but she, she had the mole map. Now, some people get it done every 12 months. I know my own GP said to me, there's no really need for that, but my, my own sister uh, siblings get it done every 12 months. Right. And, and she had one on her back, and it was tiny, and the surgeon actually said to her, you're really fortunate because your GP would have not, not, wouldn't have spotted. Just to explain to people what the danger is about skin cancer, this is what I didn't realise until I actually got it. Well, when I said I had it, it was very, very, very early stage, Fiona, yeah. right? But what it does is it grows down, isn't it? And it grows down into the skin. And then what it does is it breaks off and it, go, it goes into your, into your, you know, your, 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 your veins and what have you. And it's carried around the body by your blood. So all of a sudden, this cancer then is transported. It can go anywhere. It can be, people get brain tumours with it. They can get, you know, it's not the fact it's on your skin. It's, it's like people that say, well, sure can't they just cut it off? No, because it's in your system. And and you actually hit on something really important there. It's not it's not actually the hot days that does it. It's 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 the UV rays. So the UV rays on on a, on a hot you know on a hot day like today where we mm. have clouds, okay? Like there's UV rays still there. Like but you know and we all do it. Like I was out on Saturday, even though you know I mean I I am conscious of it. And we were looking at a car, and my daughter turned around to me and she said, Dad, did you put on your sunscreen today? And I said, Actually, I didn't. So we all do it. You know, and to be fair, like the highest categories, right, of people that are getting it are people that work outside. So, for example, fishermen, builders, farmers. Now, I show any lads that are listening to this program on the, on the build, on building line this morning, we're saying, you know, your man might like to come up on the roof with us when it's about 27 degrees and, and maybe get us to wear clothes. That's ridiculous. But, but I would say th- there, is, there is a simple solution. It's called sunblock. I mean, mm. I, I, I actually think it's, it's ridiculous for people to go to the beach or go outside and put on oil. They're burning their skin. And the thing about it, and, and they said to me inside in the CUH, it's not, it's, not, it's not a recent burning. I mean, it could be a burning that you got when you were four or five that this has started with, you know, that that little mould could have started in. So to be conscious of it, like there's 13,000 people in Ireland uh, get, get skin cancer every year. The good news is if it's caught early, there's no bother. You know, so keep an eye on these things. The other thing is, I suppose, is, is, is that, you know, as a country, we're all living longer. Our, our medical services in this country are fantastic. We only have to think about the recent pandemic. So if you get yourself into your GP, if you, if you find a mould that is changing colour, it's growing bigger, um, if it's getting itchy, you know, even if you have any suspicion at all of it, take yourself into your GP and let him have a look at it. Okay. You know, it's really, really important. It'll save your life. Um, you know, we, I know there's people here now who are sun worshippers and saying, ah, sure, look, it's grand. I mean, at the end of the day, if this thing gets, it gets into remember, it's not, going to, it's not the fact that it's on your skin. If it gets down into your body, it's going to be transported anywhere in the system. So the, the, the one thing, I suppose, when we're talking, Fiona, about climate change and stuff like that, yeah. um, it's, it's, the, the biggest fear they have in this country is that, um, and, and around the world, not just in Ireland, is that, you know, obviously we're looking for, it's going to get hotter, you know, so if it's going to get hotter, we're going to get greater cases of, of um, skin cancer, so people need to be more conscious of it. I, I would say, I would, I would actually make this point this morning, like if we're saying that builders are the highest category in this country, then like people do safe passes every, every you know, to, to work on your site, you have to do your manual handling, after you do your safety on site. I wonder, are they talking about skin cancer? Are they, I, I, I doubt it. And, you know, 
I'm sure <laughs> burly men they're kind of putting sun on the sun cream on their back. That, but that sort of thing. But that that needs to be, you know, that that it needs to be kind of to take away the macho thing. Like, yeah, yeah you can take off your shirt, but 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 if you are put on sunblock, you know, um, but it's going to save your life, you know. Thank so, you very much, JJ Hurley. That's a really important message, I think, for people is the importance of sunblock and, and trying to cover up, especially if you're out on a building site. That was JJ Hurley joining me. Now, I'm going next to Jess Kenliston, and she's here to tell me about Flow by Fitsteps app. Good morning, Jess. Hi, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. What exactly is Flow by Fitsteps app? Okay, so the app is designed to help women identify their own menstrual cycle because there's actually four phases rather than just the one we all think about. Yes. To tailor their food, nutrition, and even their productivity to what our body is hormonally driven towards in each phase. So basically, my idea behind this was to make my life easier, first and foremost, and to be able to really keep my clients motivated. Because I think for so many women, you know, you'll start a food or exercise plan, everything's going great, two or three weeks in, you hit a bit of a bump in the road where your body doesn't feel great, mentally you're not there, and we convince ourselves that we're not able or that we failed, and that's not the case. Often Mm. we're just trying to work against our bodies as opposed to with it. So I wanted to remove that obstacle and just educate women more about how they can most effectively lead a really healthy lifestyle without complicating things. I guess there a part of the month during our cycle where we're just not, like our energy levels are just not where they would be normally. 100%. And when we break it down, so hormone cycle training has been used for elite athletes for a long, long time, decades. And there's different weeks where you are uh, better geared towards lifting weight, better geared towards cardio, better geared towards um, mobility and recovery. So this isn't just you, it's, you know, every, every woman goes through these phases. And yeah, absolutely, some weeks it's just not as easy as it was the week before. So in those weeks, should, be, will we, should we be looking at maybe an exercise that's not as, as vigorous as maybe we would do on a week where we have loads of energy? Absolutely. So we break it down and some weeks you'll work interval style work. So there'll be a little bit of effort with an equal period of rest so that you get that recovery time. Other weeks, it might be exercises more similar to yoga, Pilates, um, stretching and mobility. And really in having this balance throughout the month, working through different things, you're not only suiting your hormones and just your mental capacity better, Mm because there's no worse feeling than feeling like we failed, right? But you're actually helping to prevent injury. You're consistently changing the way your muscles work, so you get a really quick effect. Um, and really nice toning. Because I think for most women, what they want is that, you know, I hear them come in to me, they want to lose a bit of weight, tone up, feel tight and strong. And this is a really nice way to get that. And so are there, so this app that you have, uh, where can people find it? And what kind of information is on it then? Like what is there, like do you put in the dates of your cycle and then follow it that way? Or, or what way does it work? So what you have, it's actually, it's a web-based app. You can find it on my website um, and through my social media as well. You directly save it to your home screen. Inside the app, there is a downloadable planner, which talks you through each phase of the cycle, um, gives you a tool to track your cycle and uh, a mantra or focus for every single week. Um, You've also got fully personalizable nutrition. So you tell the app what you don't eat and how many times a day you want to eat, how many people you're shopping for. It will do each day individually and a full week shopping list. 
And then each day you have a targeted video based on your cycle. And that's there for you. All you have to do is press play and go. Brilliant. Jess, thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line in Cork's 96FM and that for anybody. It's Flow by Fit Steps F-I-T-T-S-T-E-P-S The lines are live and we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM today and for the rest of this week. Now, in the last hour, we were speaking to... Um, to childcare providers about the guidelines around foreign travel and a lot of creches now are informing parents that if they do decide to go abroad that their children will not be able to come into the creche for two weeks later uh, or when they come back and Maeve has been in touch with us and she says creches are dead right but even West Cork is rampant with Delta variant so not just foreign or inter-county travel let us know what you think 1850 and now for those people who have chosen not to go abroad this year and want to travel around Ireland and holiday in Ireland, where are the best places to go? Joining me now is travel blogger Melanie May. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Fiona. Now, Melanie, you've been around a couple of places in Ireland and have written up about the best places to go. Can we start, of course, with Cork? Because obviously our listeners here in Cork, many of them may want to stay around Cork and go to different places across the city and county. Where have you found is the best place for people? Well, what I found about Cork is that it's so geared up for um, summer holidays. This year in particular with all the outdoor dining facilities and with all the outdoor activities that you can get do for, you know, I mean, I know an awful lot of people are still not very comfortable going indoors and walking mm. around like that. So one of the best things that I did was I actually took a cycling tour with a company called Beyond the Glass Adventures. And what I loved about this was it gave me such an understanding of how Cork grew up, the history on the importance of the rivers and the harbour and why Cork is called, you know, the city of uh, and steeples. And it was really actually fascinating for me. And then finding out how like Patrick Street and the South Mall were once river channels and that there's an old cannon there on Grand Parade. And learning all this about the city was just so interesting, especially by somebody who was from there and has an encyclopedic knowledge. And it also took me out of the the tourist hotspots. So I got to go down to some places that I'd never been before, like um, Fitzgerald Park and to see the Sky Pod and the the Gluckson building. So I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And uh, the guys there at uh, Beyond the Glass Adventures will actually take you out on a cycling tour in the evening along the... um, the new Black Rock Greenway there. Mm. Uh, so it's it's great if you are maybe a little bit nervous cycling and you don't want to be going along where all the traffic is. And then, of course, you can stop there at the Marina Market and stop up, uh, stock up on all your picnic provisions and uh, perk up with a coffee if you needed to. That sounds absolutely brilliant because even like for myself now, I'm not originally from Cork, um, but I'm down here about 16 years and there's loads of places around the city and county that I still haven't visited or that I might not know of. So um, it's great to know that something like that is there. And then just moving up to the country, can we just go to my own home county of Cavan? It's in there in the hidden heartlands that you've been you've been discovering. 
Yes, so this is another great thing. So I know an awful lot of people are saying that hotels are booked out and things are expensive. And that's true if you're going to the hotspots. And I know an awful lot of people when they want to go away on holiday, they want to be by the water. But you don't necessarily have to go to the seaside Mm. and the coast to be near water. So I was down in Leitrim and Cavan. And the place is just, you know, the home of rivers and canals and Mm. lakes and everything. And you can do so much stuff. You can do all the stuff that you can do, like, on the coast, on those other waterways. But it's also safer. It's calmer. Um, It's perfect if you have children as well. So one of the places that I went to in... um, in Cavan was the uh, Cavan Adventure Centre. Okay. And so there is, you know, you'll know yourself, there's 365 lakes in Cavan, <laughs> one for every day of the year, as they keep telling us. Yeah. Um, so this is a great place to go with children. So you can either go on a guided boat tour, or if you're confident enough in the water, you can just go and rent all the stuff out yourself. So there's family canoes where you can all like fit in them, or two people in them. You can go paddling out on the water down by the castles, visiting all the um, all the lakes. They also do archery, which is great for the kids. Um, they also do uh, canoe polo, which is a good laugh. And they also do yoga on stand-up paddle boards on the water. So, it's, you know, it's absolutely brilliant. So like that, you can go and book a tour and have a guide come and tell you the whole history of the region just go down and book out the uh, canoes and the boats yourself and take a lovely little paddle and stop and have a picnic and just enjoy the surrounds. So I really think this year um, people should start looking at the alternatives, especially if you're nervous of crowds, especially if you can't find, um, you know, availability and accommodation. Start looking at the rivers and the lakes and the canals because there's so many now blueways and, um, you know, facilities built up like docks and uh, piers and everything like that to make the most of these inland waterways. And just as you were speaking there about um, crowded places, um, I know that you've been to Dublin and I suppose a lot of people have been, you know, staying maybe out of the cities um, over the last year because of COVID. But what have you found in Dublin that would be suitable for families in particular? So the uh, places in Dublin now have really gone above and beyond trying to make outdoor dining and outdoor um, yeah, facilities really safe. So there's a, so many new places have popped up over the last year that never had outdoor dining before. But one of the best things you can do is come down to the Phoenix Park. You know, it's twice the size of Central Park in New York. So there's Mm. so much stuff to do. There's bike tours, bike rentals. They're actually doing running tours now. So if you're into fitness and want to get, you know, a guided tour of the park while you're running, um, maybe not in this heat, but, you know, that's something else to do. But there's a place there called the Phoenix Park Cafe. It's located in the visitor centre. You can dine on their outside terrace or pick up a picnic box and head in and just sit around and admire the deer, you know. Um, There's the Museum of Literature in Ireland. They have the most amazing courtyard. Now, this is up by St. Stephen's Green. So this is kind of the newest um, cultural landmark in Dublin. Exhibitions about um, James Joyce, uh, W.B. Yeats, Seamus Heaney. They have a lovely cafe in a courtyard where James Joyce actually had his graduation photograph taken. So there's loads of kind of places now that if you do a little bit of research, if you have social media, you know, put a call out of where's the best place to go for outdoor dining because there's so many places now have new outdoor facilities that weren't there before. And obviously we've heard so much about the Wild Atlantic Way, but tell me a little bit about the Mid-Atlantic Way. Okay, so the Mid-Atlantic Way is... Um, kind of around uh, Limerick, Clare and 
Galway, but not so much along the coast. Um, so I started off in Limerick and wow, what a, I just had the most amazing experience walking around. It's such a pleasant city and there's so many riverside cafes and tables. They have this absolute beautiful riverside walk and boardwalk all um, done up now with flowers everywhere and it was such a pleasant city to walk around. But actually quite near to Limerick, about 20 kilometres drive, is the historic site of Locker. Now one of my great things about Limerick that I love is that it's so accessible for people who don't have their own car. Um, and that's an awful lot of people in Ireland. You can just get the because there's a central bus station and a central train station, it's very easy to get to Limerick. And then if you want to, the city's so compact that you can see everything, you know, without public transport. But if you do want to get outside of the city, the number 329 bus will take you up to Locker and its surrounds and there's 6,000 years of history to discover a Locker and I know we have these bucket list ideas of you know Stonehenge and the pyramids but people from all over the world come to Locker because it's on their bucket list so the Grainstone Circle in Locker the bus will leave you right by there there's 110 standing stones there it's like it's the biggest um uh, standing stone circle in Ireland and it's larger than Stonehenge and then we also have um, like uh, tombs and and, um, you know burial chambers in the area that were built at the same time or just before the pyramids now they're not as impressive but if you're into history and you know you you've always wanted to go and see the pyramids start with the stuff that's on your doorstep this is a great time to do that like you'll hear about all the american people that have saved up for years and they come over to lock because it's been on their bucket list and they pay for you know a two and a half hour tour by local storytellers and i think that's a really great idea to make the most of the area and um, you can actually organize that with the lock heritage center but if you go on the way up sorry to lock yeah. heritage center it's full of picnic tables, nature walks, this brand new playground for children to enjoy. It's built inside a replica crano, so there's big like a museum in there, but there's also like a fairy forest. There's 110 steps up to this fairy forest. Fairy forest is absolutely enchanting. Children will love it. So you can just go up there for free, walk around, enjoy all the facilities and discover 6,000 years of heritage on our doorstep. Brilliant, Melanie. It all sounds fantastic. Thanks very much for all of that. And keeping it local and staying at home, um, we've had uh, somebody contact the show there to say with the prices the hotels are charging and the price the restaurants and takeaways are charging, I paid €7 last week for large chips in a takeaway, just as cheap to go abroad. Would you agree with that, texter? 0833 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, just before the break, I was speaking to travel blogger Melanie May and she was telling me about some great things to do in Cork. And we're now speaking to somebody who's very, very happy to be in Cork and that is Kate Ryan. Kate, good morning. Hi, how are you? Congratulations, you've become an Irish citizen. <laughs> I have, I have. It's a very happy day, yeah. <laughs> so just tell me, Kate, when did you move to Cork? Uh, I moved uh, to Ireland about 16 years ago uh, with my husband, uh, who's from North Cork originally. 
So I guess the plan was always to move back to Cork. Um, he was a little bit homesick himself. So we settled in the city for about a year or so. And then we moved down to West Cork and we've been living just outside the Clonakilty ever since. And was it always your intention then to become an Irish citizen or how did that all come about? I guess it was always something that was in the back of my mind. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I suppose the whole Brexit thing really kind of uh, pushed the, the button for me, really, in that um, I just wanted to kind of do something to make sure that my status in the country was a bit more secure, I suppose. And mm. I felt like after living here for 16 years, when I talk about home, I'm now referring to Ireland and not where I'm from, which is Bristol in the UK. Um, and, you know, I live here. My husband is from here. I have a home here. I run a business here. So it just kind of made sense that really it was about time that I just kind of, you know, changed citizenship as well. This is my home. So I wanted that to kind of be um, made official, I suppose. You said in on your Twitter account that you take comfort from the sentiments expressed in the letter welcoming me as an Irish citizen, which mm. says it's important to know that becoming an Irish citizen does not mean giving up your identity from your homeland. Was that important for you? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I mean, you are who you are. And um, the letter also kind of goes on to say that, you know, where you've come from makes you who you are today. And um, so I think that kind of really resonated with me uh, and made me kind of feel uh, very welcome. You know, um, it's it can feel like, I suppose when I started on this journey of changing citizenship, I was feeling a little bit apprehensive about it because it's a it's a quite a big deal and I suppose mm. not everybody is doing it all the time. Um, but actually, as the process kind of went on um, and now with the kind of citizenship coming through and the letter as well, it just kind of felt like I had... Uh, it was confirming what I felt, which was that this was a good decision, that I was being felt welcome. And I live in a really small village um, and everybody here in, in my village has always been so welcoming. It's kind of a bit of a standing joke that my husband, who is from North Cork, is considered more of a blow-in than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's always I've always felt very, very welcome here. And to kind of see that then in the printed letter was just kind of the, the stamp of approval for me, really. I just felt that that was a lovely way to put it. And apart from the lovely warm welcome that you've received in West Cork, what else do you love about the place? Oh, do you know, I just kind of love the feeling of communality, I think, really. Um, you know, coming here, I lived in a big city my whole life, you know, so moving to a small rural village in West Cork was quite a big change. So it was a case of sort of, you know, how do I get to know people? How do I become a part of the community that I've arrived into? So, you know, my, um, there was kind of small changes, I suppose, little things we did. First of all, was kind of, you know, ingratiating ourselves as the locals in our local pubs, yeah. of which we have two fine ones. And then I kind of joined a singing group in Clonkilty, which would be my nearest town. And I met fantastic women through that and had amazing opportunities. And then sort of through starting my business, um, food writing and food tours, um, you know, the community in the wider sense and the business community just kind of really um, welcomed me in as well. So it's everything. It's the food, it's the music, it's the people, um, just the, the culture of the place. And I suppose West Cork has always been a very outward looking, opening, open hearted kind of place. And I suppose it's just very difficult to not fall in love with West Cork, but Cork in general. Mm. You know, I mean, the county has so much to offer. It's so beautiful. 
Um, it's got so many great themes from art to food to music to landscape to activities. You know, I mean, um, a couple of friends of mine are, are also food bloggers and they were like, why would you even leave Cork? You know, why bother exploring the other 31 places? <laughs> Which I felt terrible about. But, you know, there is kind of a grain of truth in it, really, you know. I know, yeah. And I think it's very hard to get Cork people out of Cork then because I'm not a Cork person either. But my husband, there was no way he was moving out of Cork. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was it. Once, once my husband got me here, that was it. He kind of let it know that this is where we were staying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, my husband was the same as well. He was like, why, why would you go anywhere else? Sure, everything exactly. is here. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you mentioned there that you're a food blogger as well. And just, mm. you know, do you think, I know here in Cork, we always praise ourselves on having fantastic food and being the food capital of, of nearly the world. But um, do you think that we do food really well here in Cork compared to other places? I think we do. I think um, I've always kind of thought, and maybe this is just my perspective as a kind of quote-unquote outsider looking in, but that the the history of food in, in court seems to have always been producer-led. So I think there's always been a very close engagement and connection with sort of the raw ingredient, if you like, you know, the mm. great beef, the great dairy and so forth and the wonderful vegetables and seasonality of all of that. And then it seems as though sort of then the, um, the chefs came on uh, you know, and really have engaged with the produce. And then as a result of that, then we've got incredible chefs doing amazingly creative things with food. And we have top-class restaurants. I mean, we have three Michelin star restaurants in Cork, um, you know, which is quite some feat, really. And um, so, yeah, I, re- I really do think we do do it well. I think we understand food. I think we understand provenance. We understand the effort that goes into kind of creating food um and then also just and that's following the creativity of the chef so i think you know we have we're fortunate to have things like the english market Mm. um an amazing coastline full of fish incredible producers producing everything and anything you could ever think about you know we really do have everything here so i do think that the rebel county sort of food capital nomica that we have is very well deserved Kate, has it been difficult to see family and friends over the last year and a half? Yes, very difficult. So um, my my own family actually lives uh, in Wales, funnily enough. That's right. a lot, another story for another time. Um, <laughs> and so the last time I saw my parents was in September. So I'm hoping to try and get over there sometime in August or September, depending on you know, travel availability and things. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's been hard, but, you know, we keep in contact regularly. We have sort of weekly Skype chats for sort of a couple of hours at a time. And we're always in contact via message and things. So, and social media, I suppose, has been a real blessing in that, in this time, you know, so just keeping in contact with people. Mm. But it's uh, certainly no substitute for actually being able to spend FaceTime with, real FaceTime with people. So, I'm really looking forward to being able to go over and visit my family. And I suppose... Um, you know, with my husband being Irish, we have I have been fortunate in being able to spend time with my Irish family, my mother and father in law in North Cork. Mm. So once the travel restrictions lifted and we were all safely vaccinated, you know, we have been able to to meet with them and have nice family time together. So it's been difficult, but we've um, we've been okay. You know, I think some people have been far worse off than we have. So, but yeah, looking forward to seeing my mum and dad as soon as possible for sure. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, what did you do to celebrate then becoming an Irish citizen? I hope you had a pint of Guinness, did you? 
<laughs> I had I had some uh, something tizzy and deeply uh, <laughs> alcoholic for sure. Um, yeah, I suppose it's difficult to know how to celebrate in these times, really. You know, so uh, just my husband and I really, you know, just had a little celebration um, in our back uh, garden. Um, and just I, at the moment, I'm just trying to get round to see as many uh, friends and family and uh, as possible, just making up for lost time. So every time I meet with somebody, there's always a bit of a mini celebration. So that's great. Well, keep on celebrating. That was Kate Ryan. Thanks very much for that. Now. The Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. And the Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards are back. We want you to nominate places and services that are the best in Cork. And the categories are Best Hairdresser, Best Beauty Salon, Best Bar, Best Barber, Best Breakfast, Best Coffee, Best Takeaway, Best Local Tradesperson, Best Gym. Best Restaurant, Best Workplace, Best Hotel, Best Burger. Go to 96fm.ie right now and nominate your favourite. The Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths and more with a 12-month guarantee. Backed by Board Gosh Energy on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996 on Cork's 96 FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. Now, if you were around the city over the weekend, you may have seen um, phones lit up and candles lit on a lot of the bridges. And joining me now to, to, to discuss what was happening is Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners. Good morning, Katrina. Morning, Fiona. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning, Katrina. Now, just tell us a little bit about what was happening. Okay, what was happening is um, <clears throat> it started a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of months ago when we put up bears on bridges and we put signs up and we put the solar lights so that people that might be in a dark place, if they were out, they would see the bears, they would see the message and uh, it might help them. Mm. So... Because of the amount of suicide and the mental health issues that are rife, and uh, we just decided that we would take it a step further, and we had a bear, bear hope, and um, just about I suppose maybe six weeks ago, bear hope went up Crontool on the back of Dave Feeney, one of our volunteers, and uh, he climbed up um, on the Friday night, then came back down and led a group of climbers up because he's a guide with Derry Falvey and another few guys up at Bugsy, another one of our volunteers. And they went up the mountain for the John Cunningham Memorial Walk. And when people got up there, the bear was up there. And there was people up there that um, just were kind of blown away by the sight of the bear and the messages that were on the bear of that you are loved and, you know, text messages, numbers for to ring and things like that. And... Um, the lads then, <clears throat> they did the climb for Cox City um, Missing Person Search and Recovery Unit and um, those lads were with them as well and um, I was after asking the guys would they sing a song called Love Rescue Me because mm. that's the theme of our campaign. It's called Love Rescue Me. So that was a, a huge success I suppose in one way in that it spread the message and it gave comfort to people and we just said like that it's also a reminder to the government that more has to be done. There's not enough being done. More has to be done. So um, we decided that in memory of all those that we have lost 
um, you know, grief kind of, I suppose, just unites people. But for some people, they may not have a chance, you know, to be together with other people. And we've seen how it has helped down through the years. So we decided with Cox City Missing Persons Search and Recovery, we'd bring the bear up the river. In mm. the meantime, Dr. Hassan, who was volunteering with us, like he's a doctor of the Mercy and it's going back to London, he decided to buy us a second bear and he wanted to name that bear Faith. So we have Bear Hope and Bear Faith now and they're monstrous six foot, seven foot bears. They're huge. And um, they, we light them up with lights and our plan is to go all over Cox City and County with the bears. So the one for the bridges, we have the North Channel, which was last Friday night, and it's called the Bridges of Hope. And we have people from different groups like the Samaritans, Shine a Light, mm. Circle of Hope, um, Talk Sexual Violence Centre, loads of places. That um, And with the Coast Guards, we just had everything, the Guardi, the Fire Brigade, everyone. And they just come out and we put on the lights, we light candles, put on the phone lights and we have to do it late at night, 10 o'clock. And then they bring the bears up the river, lit up to just be a beacon of light for everybody. And it was very emotional. The High Hope Squire sang, but on Patrick's Bridge we had pipers and on the, the Red Bridge, you know, St. Vincent's Bridge up by the Mercy where we kind of finished and did a salute, not just to the people that we have lost, but to the families to salute them for, you know, for and to comfort them. And it was very, very emotional. And to hear the pipers on the Lee was just something else. It was, you know, hauntingly, I suppose, emotional. Uh, it was a great event, Katrina. And, you know, you mentioned something there about how difficult the last year and a half has been in particular for many people. Um, are you seeing a, an increase in people who are reaching out, who are feeling maybe suicidal or because of... Yeah. Yeah, and then we can, you know, we can refer them on to other, you know, aid agencies. We can, you know, to other groups and to the hospitals or to the GPs. And we know counsellors that have been given doing stuff pro bono just because people can't afford to, to pay sometimes for a counsellor. And then you have the likes of the, the Samaritans, you shine a light and circle of hope, and they will organise these, you know, and uh, you've paid a house, you've lishing house, you have a load that give that service free but people don't know how to go about it so it's creating that awareness not to be afraid to move forward not to be afraid to talk to somebody not to be afraid to reach out people will be glad you did do it and that you mm. chose somebody to reach out to because they will be your point of contact and if they can't help you themselves they will find somebody that can help you so that's the important thing don't be afraid to talk don't be afraid to tell somebody so basically that's the message we're hoping now we're going to come up the South Channel next month August and do the bridges there and we've had a huge amount of interest in it but it's, it's what it is, is I suppose as part of the Love Rescue Me it's it's a campaign for suicide you know for to raise awareness on suicide mental health homelessness poverty etc but the last year and a half has made that the increase in that and, and, and there's a difference in it there's, there's like the people were always hurt when they were in situations but this is just dragging people everywhere right left and centre businesses there's confusion there's a lot of stuff going on people can't go back to work mm -hmm. and if they go back and somebody gets COVID they're all out of work again and, and it's 
just tipping over. It's like a roller coaster now. So, do you think that it's going to get worse now as we're trying to get back to normal again? Do you know, <clears throat> I, I'd hate to be the one to say that it's it's going to get worse. But, mm. but what, what is going to happen is we'll have the aftermath of the year and a half that we've put down. We'll have that. But what we may have for the next couple of weeks is, you know, businesses opening up and people getting used to it. And then worried, like in case, like down in West Cork, what happened? They opened it to close because somebody tested positive. Mm. And that's probably going to happen as well and hurt and confuse people more. But we have to bear with that. That's part of opening up the country again and opening up livelihoods for people. So we'll have to bear with it, stick with it and get through it together. Everybody has done the best they can and done very, very well. All the frontline services have been magnificent. Mm. But again, we, we will experience like the highs and lows of this opening up again. And we have to expect that and we have to bear with it and be patient. Are you seeing more people coming to um, Penny Dinners looking for food, people who are out of homes or people who are struggling to feed their families because they're paying to keep the roof over their head? We do. We we see a lot more and we see a lot more people that would have, you know, they tell us, I never thought this would happen to me. Mm. You know, we we say, you know, nearly everybody says that, you know, but when it does happen, and if it does happen to somebody, just get out there and reach out. Yeah. Reach out to somebody. And somebody, as I said, if they can't help you, will know somebody that can help you. And that's the important thing. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. People are glad to help. That's the one thing that we've noticed, the amount of goodwill in Cox and city and county is absolutely phenomenal. And it's always been good. And we're always singing everybody's praises on that front. But like through the, um, like even through people's misfortune through COVID, they still managed to think of us. Uh, and when they were shutting down their businesses, they were bringing stuff to us. And then, you know, they still come like, you know, it was just heartbreaking when people were coming to us because they knew what was going to happen to them and but they still thought not to waste anything and to come even the river lead their chefs mm. when they weren't working worked for us you know they cooked for us which was is your you know, premises you on it? little hanover street still closed katrina like, i know you were doing takeaways but is. yeah yeah, and we're going to continue for another couple of weeks because we have no other choice. We must remember the vulnerable clientele that we have and we have to be careful and mindful of them all the time and because our premises is very small and try and, you know, not to have people queuing outside or waiting outside and stuff like that. Yeah. And again, we have to keep our staff safe because if we can't keep up with our, all the volunteers, we will close down. So we have to be mindful of that. What's the important thing here? And the important thing is that people are fed. People get their sleeping bags. They get their mm. underwear. They get their toiletries. They get their hampers. They get all of that. So we've we made a decision, you know, on that, like, and the decision is like that. We must do these, give the service first, and we must protect it so that we can keep giving it out so we won't be open for the next couple of weeks until we see how things go. Okay, that's brilliant, Katrina. Listen, thanks so much for joining us here. And if anybody is struggling with their mental health or feeling like they have no one to talk to, they can, of course, contact the Samaritans. It's a free phone number, 116123. They can also contact Pieta House, 1800 247 247, or they can text HELP to 51444. 
We've just been t- in touch, contacted by uh, Leanne. She says, good morning, Fiona. Just wondering, could you give this a mention, please? My son got a taxi from the taxi rank on the Grand Parade on Friday evening around 7.35pm and left two bags in the back. One bag with some change of clothes and new football trainers and the other bag had his new Celtic jersey and his dad's new jersey that he bought in town that day. I don't know what taxi company it was as it was from the taxi rank. Maybe if you could give this a mention please. My son is going mad over his New Jersey. Thank you. So if anybody um, did find that bag or knows where it is, maybe you could let us know. Okay, now um, the... I don't know if you remember last year we we heard about um, sheep that had been brought into graves to eat the grass around the headstones but this year Councillor Audrey Buckley there's a novel idea after um, happening in St Michael's Graveyard in Crosshaven you brought in goats or is it the other way around you brought in goats last year and you brought sheep in this year (laughs) I did the St Matthew's um, uh, the Temple Breedy Graveyard in Church Bay absolutely we had our four star goats last year who his um, national news and I think brought the whole project to the fore um, because we had so many visitors coming up there so it really highlighted the plight that we were doing up there. Mm. They um, had eaten all the brush and ivy from a lot of the old headstones. They did an amazing job but they don't really eat that much grass so we brought the sheep in this year. And how are the sheep getting on? <laughs> so at the start, um, a lovely, a very kind woman bought them for us and she'll take them back in September. Um, so we had four, three females and a male. So two mothers and two lambs. Unfortunately, the male lamb, which we nickname Houdini, could get out three or four times a day outside the Harris fencing. So we had to bring him back. And so now we have three, so we have four female lambs and two mothers. And they're fantastic. They're like pets. What's the idea of bringing them into a graveyard? Like, why would you do that rather than just go in with well, the mower? Well, first of all, um, we were told by Cork County Council's heritage officer that it's probably one of the largest, it's a hectare of a site in um, Deathling County Cork, but maybe nationally. Um, so the area is vast that we're talking about and the area in the middle where a lot of these marker stones and headstones wouldn't have been seen probably for 50 plus years. So the task at hand was just um, just impossible for us. I had seen about three years ago on holidays in the Gower in um, in Wales and the Mumbles. Mm. The sheep were roaming and I was thinking, oh my God, these are just like lawnmowers. I mean, the place was meticulous and they just let them roam. So that was where the idea came from. But we had the goats, as I say, in first do the heavy lifting. And um, so the sheep are now doing the grass. They're doing an amazing job. And what that allows us to do is we can go in behind them and by um, gently and respectfully remove the scrub from around these old mark stone, marker stones, probably, you know, uh, early 18, late 1800. Um, that's how long they probably would have been there. Yeah. Um, so, and also what it entails us to do is um, last year we, we fundraised and um, there's an amazing group of volunteers the backbone of it all I'm only in behind them so uh, this is there I'm, I'm working behind them they registered over 407 headstones which is on uh, historicgraves.ie and then this entailed us for instance why the story became kind of national again recently mm. 
is because um, after sheep had been moved recently, when we went in to clean some areas, some of the volunteers, Ray and Teresa, um, found this, um, I don't know if you have seen the photograph, this cement um, kind of uh, a marker to this girl who was um, about two and a half years old. Yeah. And what we were able to do then entail is um, uh, Jason and Marion, who would be the kind of histor- historians for the the graveyard, were able to just straight away look up the on the list that we we got last year when we um, compiled all the the, the headstones, hmm. and they were able to tell straight away that her father was a corporal up at uh, Fort Camden Mar. Um, and this then entails them to do some genealogy, um, go go back, and they found the great great grandson of this girl. Oh, wow. And they were able to tell that this girl, she had two brothers yeah. and when they moved, and they moved back to England. So the, the great, great grandson or of this um, girl now lives in England and he was just delighted to be contacted and he's just amazed. Um, he, he didn't realise his great, great grandfather, you know, was here in Ireland in, in Fort Camden Mar. Yeah. So it's just been amazing. And I think that's happened to about four or five families um, so far that we've been able to um, get back and give them the information for yeah, the genealogy. Because genealogy is, I guess, quite big right now. A lot of people are, are going back and finding their ancestors. That must have been a great surprise for him. Do you know if he has any plans to come back over here yeah, now and, and visit the grave? Yeah, he's coming back. as, as you know When things calm down a bit with COVID, etc., um, they will um, they'll definitely be over and what's very interesting about this grave you know it's 1874 but it's actually made from cement and then I'd say they gathered a load of shells from Church Bay Beach the nearest beach and they have it all over these, this beautiful little shaped coffin yeah and you know concrete when you think about it it's like 1874 you know being able to pour concrete but apparently you know he worked in um, is a corporal in Fort Camden Mar and I think that's the first kind of area I was told where they started pouring mass, mass concrete, you know, so it all kind of ties up, you know. So these sheep are not only keeping the graveyard tidy, but they're reuniting families with their long lost loved ones. They <laughs> are, and you know what they do as well? They, well, when we're up there working and clearing after them, we let them out and they're just like the best one loves rubs behind her ear I mean they're just fantastic and they keep us going <laughs> <laughs> and it's a great community because we get so many volunteers um, you know passing and that want to get involved kids yeah. coming up and so it's a really community effort and you know COVID I think really brought this all about for us because we're all vacationing and we're around yeah Councillor Audrey Buckley, that sounds great stuff. It's a lovely story to end with on this Monday on the Opinion Line in Cork's 96FM. My thank you as always to the team here, Fergal Barry, Katie O'Keefe and of course Wayne Hilton. We'll be back again tomorrow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.